Final Fours are set, and the men's side is unlike anything we have seen in the seeded era. It's Tuesday, March 28th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Number four seed, Yukon Huskies, number five seed, San Diego State Aztecs and Miami Hurricanes, and the number nine seed, Florida Atlantic Owls are headed to the Final Four, which happens on Saturday in Houston. Joining me now to talk all things men's Final Four is our reporter, Amanda Kristovich. Great to have you on. So let's just start in the most obvious place. We've got a four seed, two five seeds, and a nine seed. No one twos or threes. What happened here? Yeah, so um, this is a pretty historic men's Final Four. This is actually, like, never happened in the seeding era that um, a one, two, or three seed has not made the Final Four. Um, We have three of the four teams making their school's debut in the men's Final Four, uh, the Mountain West Conference, um, represented by San Diego State, has the first uh, conference representation in the Final Four. So... A lot of firsts, a lot of um, Cinderella's, obviously, um, and, you know, so many people around the league have been using the word parody, and I think that that is the word of uh, the men's tournament this year. The women's, too, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, this is the year of parody for men's college basketball, and it is it could not be more exciting, honestly. And where's that parody coming from? Like, I, I feel like with this tournament, there is this big element of randomness. But are, do you think there are underlying factors that are leading to this this parody? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, one of the coaches last week um, talked about how seeding is maybe a little bit less um, meaningful than it used to be because of the fact that all of the players know each other from playing in tournaments and AAU and like, you know, obviously AAU has been around for a while, so I'm not sure how accurate of a theory that is, but it was interesting to think about the fact that, you know, players at Power 5 teams, Blue Bloods, like played, you know, in like over the summer with kids who are at, you know, Cinderella schools, right? So that's maybe one theory. Um, Obviously, there was a theory that NIL deals in the transfer portal um, rules would actually like decrease any existing parity. Like they would increase the gap between the haves and the have nots because the idea was like, well, any, you know, athlete who plays well is going to want to jump immediately to a more well-known program. And those well-known programs are going to be richer. So they're going to have boosters with deeper pockets who are going to be offering collective through collectives offering deals. That hasn't happened either. If anything, the transfer portal and NIL appear at least to have increased parity because, um, first of all, because like uh, older athletes, this was a point that was just made by Miami's coach, older athletes can transfer and then immediately add like essentially experience, right? And like wisdom to a team. The other thing is that, um, you know, um, again, Miami is an interesting example of a place where, you know, good players have either stayed or maybe been interested in Miami for partially because of their NIL offerings. And like that 
you know, they're not a poor university by any means, but they're not exactly a men's basketball blue blood. So it's just interesting to see how the fear mongering, you know, about the lack of um, fairness in college sports has not appeared to pan out. My best guess is that there will be programs that are great at the basketball side, they're great at the NIL side, and they're just going to, you know, just go up a level or just continue to dominate. Um, but there will also be programs that have um, been playing catch up on the, on the basketball side, but have a great NIL program and can use that to turbocharge their sports program because they become more desirable because players can make more money on arrival. Absolutely. I mean, you just have to think of it as another, you know, recruiting offering because there's already an arms race for multiple different factors when it comes to recruiting, right? Um, that's why we have all these fancy facilities that are like nicer than, you know, often NBA or NFL practice facilities. Um, but the other thing that I'll say too, is that schools, I think at this point also maybe looking at some of these teams and thinking maybe we should be a little bit more cautious about, you know, just trying to pull in the best, um, kids from the transfer portal because, there is this thing called team chemistry, right? And obviously there are examples where this is the case and isn't the case in the tournament so far, but like FAU and Princeton, for example, obviously Princeton, you know, is not in the final four, but they made it way farther than anyone expected them to. Those are examples of two teams where, you know, they stuck together for multiple years. Um, they didn't have like, you know, an entire roster turnover. And it's like, there are all there's also conversations about okay well if you bring in a completely new roster even if everyone's a really good basketball player you know in and of themselves it takes time you know basketball is a very sort of fluid game right you you really need to be able to know your fellow players really well you need to have continuity on the court you need to have you know you need to gel basically and that takes time particularly with college kids before we go, you were at Madison Square Garden uh, when FAU beat Kansas State to make the final floor. <laughs> Sorry, final, <laughs> final four. Um, give us give us the scene there. What what was that like to witness that? Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, um, the you know, I, I think it was so interesting that Madison Square Garden, obviously the mecca of basketball, um, is in New York City. Neither of these teams are New York teams. Neither of these teams are tri-state area teams. However, the Garden at least looked packed. Uh, I don't know if it was uh, officially a sellout, but it certainly looked, felt, and sounded like one. Um, I will say there were a vast majority were K-State fans, but there was a very sort of like small and energetic FAU contingent on both sides of the court that basically stood the whole time, like the whole game. Um, and it was just incredible to watch. I mean, it was one of the most physical basketball games I've ever seen. Maybe that was just because I was so close. Like I was on courtside press row, tons of turnovers. Um, you know, it was just fun. Amanda Krishnovich, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Up next, I spoke with someone deep inside the NIL world, influencer CEO Jim Caval. We talked about how athletes' ability to profit off their name, image, and likeness is reshaping the college sports landscape, and what could be coming next as the NCAA tries to navigate these uncharted waters. We'll have that conversation right after this.
Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, take advantage of this special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com slash frontoffice. That's netsuite.com slash frontoffice. I'm joined now by Jim Caval, CEO of Influencer, a big name in the NIL space. Welcome, Jim. Oh, thanks for having me, Owen. So just to get it started, could you just tell us what is Influencer? What do you do? How do you work? Give us the spiel. Influencer is a tech company. Uh, we're a SaaS model, so pro and college teams pay us for our software, usually on a three-year to five-year annual software license. And in exchange, their athletes can use our app to either build their brand on social media or manage their name, image, and likeness business. And so we've really been in this space since 2017, where we focus more on the athlete brand building tools that come through our app, which really is, is how we built the relationships at the college level with schools to then build NIL solutions in 2021 when the NIL era began. And zoom in on athlete brand building. What exactly does that mean? So athletes have always, since the advent of social media, desired to have access to all the pictures and videos shot of them, whether it's playing, practicing, working out. A lot of content's produced that athletes appear in, but they've never really had a clean mechanism to access it and use it on their social media. And so when Influencer was founded in 2017 with teams like Kentucky Basketball and NASCAR and you know, leagues and, and teams that, that shoot a bunch of content and, and the athletes are, in NASCAR's case, the drivers want access to it. Influencer became the medium, the app where they could access the content and then share it to their Instagram, their Twitter, their Facebook, their Snapchat and grow their audience. I see. Um, and so a couple of years ago, NIL became uh, legal for college athletes. And so they can now profit off their name, image and likeness. Uh, and the NCAA did not, they resisted this for a long time. And so NIL didn't start with some kind of comprehensive set of rules and plans. And um, it, it was just suddenly it was legal. And it was sort of the Wild West for a little while. Is it less Wild Westy now? Or is it still just kind of open season? People are can and do what they want with this. It's still Wild West now. And that's because any entity can transact with a student athlete for her or his name, image, and likeness exchange of value. And so that means that if you want to attract an athlete as an entity, you can do that with money. And, you know, attracting an athlete or recruiting is one of the most important parts of how college sports works. I think the point you brought up about how it started is something that is important to talk about, though, because the reality is for the year leading up to NIL, we were all told that there would be one set of rules from the NCAA. They drafted a set of rules in April of 2020, a set of recommendations in a 31-page document that they never passed as actual NIL rules from the NCAA to its institutions because of liability they felt um, in the antitrust realm due to cases like the Alston case where they lost 9 nothing in the Supreme Court. The Alston case wasn't about NIL, it was about proper benefits for an athlete, but essentially you can't cap 
what athletes make or are allowed to, you know, realize in their value. And NIL is one of these categories now that you can't cap it anymore. And so now that it's the Pandora's box has opened, as many would say, um, it, it remains the Wild West and, and, and probably will continue to be like this for the foreseeable future. One thing that I have been just trying to, to figure out in all this since NIL started is the main people who seem to be saying we need to contain this, we need guardrails, we need rules. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of that's coming from the NCAA and some of the big figures in the college world. Um, but all of those people seem to have something to gain from containing NIL, some, some level of control, some ability to maintain the status quo. And so I haven't really been able to figure out if this should have control or if this is okay, if it's this open market of athletes being able to sell their, their ability to, to draw fans, draw influence, sell products, does this need regulation? Well, there's two types of NIL. There's traditional NIL, which we've seen at the pro level or with celebrities for decades, right? It's endorsements, whether it's signing autographs for fans or making an appearance for fans or doing a social media post to promote a company or even being in a TV commercial, right? That's the traditional NIL we've always known. And it's where brands and fans transact with an athlete. Um, that that type of NIL doesn't need much regulation. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's doing like it does at the pro or, co or celebrity level and it's evolving. And, um, you know, it makes up though, from our data as the payment system for more than 200 schools who do NIL transactions, um, with athletes uh, doing transactions with, with whoever, like th that's a third, this traditional NIL, of the total NIL happening. The other two thirds is collectives of donors funding an entity separate from the school, but endemic to that school, tied to that school, and using NIL value exchanges like an athlete making an appearance um, and other types of uh, value exchanges similar to pay an athlete a sum of money on a monthly or annual or half year basis. And that's either retaining the athlete to want to stay at that school or attracting athletes to want to come to that school. And that's where, you know, there's, um, you know, a lot, a lot more activity going on, number one, but number two, a lot of people saying we've got to contain this to your point. Players have always, they've never gotten paid a salary and they're still not, but um, there's always been funding that goes towards drawing players, you know, scholarships, facilities, benefits. Um, and the, uh, the collective seemed to just be moving a big step toward something like a salary. Yeah, yes and no. The model's similar, but the money's coming from the side. See, the reality is, is if you look at the money from the top down, the average power five school is doing $126 million of annual revenue a year. And actually, that's the median power five school. And so you got the Alabamas and Ohio State's up towards $200 million a year. And you got some of the other schools that are below $100 million a year. But the median annual revenue is $126 million a year. How much of that is really going to the student athlete with what they get today, with tuition, with some of the other benefits? The answer to that question is 11%. And so if you look at pro sports leagues and you look at the percentage of gross revenue that goes to athlete payroll, it's four times that, five times that in many cases. And so that's where the problem is, is like, no, NIL isn't even a part of that $126 million. That's other money, either being raised by donors or coming from brands 
that can come from the side and go to athletes. But the real conversation that's starting to happen more and more, and with the Johnson versus NCAA case, which will address the employment topic, and with some of the other recent rulings from the National Labor Relations Board and California's proposed bill about sharing revenue with athletes, like the reality is, is it's going to become more and more about that $126 million annual revenue number and how more of that ends up going to the athletes. And that's really where the future of college sports is going. And lastly, uh, new NCAA commissioner, former governor of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, has been spending some time in Washington to, I'm not exactly sure what, but clearly to to try to um, get some federal action on this, to get, you know, the, the top-down source to, um, to regulate, I guess. Uh, what do you think of those efforts? Listen, I think that, you know, having regulatory uniformity would, would be great because there are a lot of different state laws. And then in states where we don't have laws, every school has a different set of rules. So we literally are operating with hundreds of sets of rules and we're asking schools to govern themselves, which is not very realistic. So I think having regulatory uniformity would be great for NIL. Um, that being said, Pandora's box is opened. And if you look at a situation like we had recently with Jaden Rashada, where he's a high, uh, highly touted recruit and <clears throat> commits to go to for uh, the University of Florida and signs a deal with Florida's collective for $13.85 million. And then they renege on the deal and he tries to get out of his national letter of intent at Florida. Like, I think those things are still going to happen even with a new NIL bill. And I think that we need to educate our young athletes more on what to be looking for in these contracts. And we need to hold collectives and brands doing deals with athletes more accountable to the types of deals they're doing with athletes or else more of those situations are going to happen regardless of an NIL bill from Congress. Jim Caval, super insightful. I learned a lot. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Owen. Thanks so much for listening. We have both Final Fours and MLB Opening Day coming up this week. It's a good time to be a sports fan. If you're enjoying the show, take a moment to leave us a rating on whatever app you're listening on. We'll see you tomorrow.